You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. It's kind of weird, but um, I'm actually in a fantastic mood today. All of a sudden, I found a whole bunch of silver linings in the fact in exactly what happened yesterday. I'm really not bothered by it at all. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty happy about it. The only thing that's sad is that I was in such a bad mood yesterday, I ruined my own episode 1000. <laughs> <laughs> I was just crabby and mad, stupid Super Bowl, stupid episode 1000, stupid everything. And then I was just bummed out yesterday. I was like, dude, you ruined your own episode 1000. Why'd you have to go and do that for? It's funny because JJ even said, I don't know if it was a joke or what. He's like, maybe you should just take the day off and episode 1000 could be, you know, tomorrow. I, I should have just done that. I should have just taken the day off and been like, nope. Episode 1000 is not going to be on the day that I have to watch the Chiefs and Tom Brady uh, decide who wins the Super Bowl. We're going to do it tomorrow. I seriously should have done that because this would have been a much better episode 1000. But we're starting off 1001 on a pretty high note. Not only do we finally get to move on, this stupid season, it's not a stupid season. Stupid end of the season is over. But the, the, the season is over and we get to move on with a fantastic 2021 Green Bay Packers who I just saw on Twitter apparently have the second-best odds to win the Super Bowl uh, behind only the Chiefs. I have to assume part of that is because they're not sure if if Brady's coming back, and if he is, they just get launched up to the number one spot and we go to three, but, you know, that's the first bit of good news. The Packers are still a very good team, as much as we um, want to question that and be concerned about that and uh, whatever. Um, Vegas, again, the people with the money, who are the only people that I feel like I can trust because they're not willing to... um, have an agenda. It, it costs too much money for them to have an agenda. That's why I, I, I love Vegas. I'm not going there because they will make me lose my well, the home that I don't have, family, whatever. They don't care. They're all about ruining lives. But I trust them because the, the, the only thing they care about is money. And you can trust greedy people that only care about money. <laughs> and I lost more followers. That's fine. Can't trust people that can't be bought, man. Those people are dangerous. Sorry, that was a random thought I had the other day, and I kind of feel like there's some truth in that, and it freaked me out. I was like, well, that's a horrible reality. But anyways, let me give you a couple nuggets about why I'm happy the way the season ended, considering, you know, all things considered, what could have happened. I was rooting for the Chiefs, but again, I'm good with this. Number one, I've always said the GOAT conversation is kind of stupid. I called Brady the GOAT, you know, whatever. It's it's just, it, again, it depends on the criteria. Fine, right? I, obviously... Nobody was ever going to catch Tom Brady. Nobody will ever catch Tom Brady. Now that he's gone to another team and won in the first year, took a bad team to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl in spectacular fashion, nobody's ever catching that. All the talk about, well, it's just because of Bill Belichick, well, it's just because of this, it's just because of that, it all goes out the window. Everything is stupid now. Even though, well, you had a good defense, which is true. I mean, unbelievably true. That defense was just ridiculous. Again, we've seen a lot of teams with good defense. The Packers, right? They had a good defense, but then it all fell apart and the offense didn't do very well. It just, it, there's still something mystical and magical, and I'm sticking with my theory, which I think is a sound theory at this point, that he sold his soul to the devil. This is a guy who is not a very good athlete, not a very good football player. That's why he got drafted where he got drafted. 
he's kind of a goofy looking dude. Let's just be completely honest. I mean, he's not ugly, but it's just, you know what I mean? Like he's not, if he wasn't super rich, you know, I mean, you get it. I mean, he's a little, eh. I mean, I'm not trying to brag over here. I'm just being honest. And he's married to a supermodel. You're telling me this guy who is a mediocre football player that got drafted in like the 400th round has seven Super Bowl rings has hundreds of millions of dollars, is playing football into his 40s, and is getting better every year. He'll probably be playing when he's 50, and is married to a supermodel, didn't sell his soul to the devil? You're telling me that's a more rational theory? I think it's slightly less rational. Thank you very much. But fine. Cool. Great. Again, the GOAT thing always just comes down to, well, what's the criteria? Rodgers is never going to catch Brady's rings, and Brady's never going to be as good of an athlete as Aaron Rodgers. He's not as good of a football thrower. So if it comes down to who is a better football thrower, it's Rodgers. If it comes down to who's a better, more accomplished quarterback, it's Brady. That's always been the case, and that doesn't change if Tom Brady wins a Super Bowl yesterday. Pat Mahomes is the one guy that, that's sort of been the golden boy, but man, is there a whole lot of doubt lately. And that's part of the positive of what happened. Listen, the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have been a nothing franchise. And again, if it wasn't for Tom Brady, I'd be borderline happy for them. But of course, Gronk went over there, which annoys me. Sue is on that team, which annoys me. Antonio Brown is on that team, which annoys me. So there's a whole, whole lot of reasons to hate Tampa Bay. But, but I mean, the fans and the, the team in general, good for you. You're a bunch of scumbags, but good for you. I'm happy for your 18 genuine fans that have been fans for a very long time. For all you fair-weather losers, um, I, you know, whatever. Congrats, I guess. This is hilarious. I'm just, I'm staring at Twitter, and um, it just refreshed in front of me. The top article right now from Pro Football Network, it says, Tom Brady's dominance is practically witchcraft. That's pretty close there, Mike Tannier. That's close. Not witchcraft. This wasn't a witch. Witches, witches are not powerful enough. Witches are um, the weird kids in high school that um, play with Ouija boards and don't actually have any, any powers. No, this, this is demonic, what's happening with Tom Brady right now. But here's the thing. The, the, the reason Aaron Rodgers is, has become overshadowed isn't really because of Tom Brady. I mean, it has been to some degree, but again, they're kind of competing on different wavelengths. And when people are, it's 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 kind of like when people argue about who's better, or you know, this is Aaron Rodgers against Tom Brady, and it's like, well, no, it's it's Tom Brady against the Packers defense, and Aaron Rodgers against the Bucks defense. It's kind of like that. I mean, it's who's the better quarterback. Well, what are we talking about? If we're talking about accomplishments, it's Brady. If we're talking about arm talent, it's Rodgers. That's never not been the case. And you could break it down based on different criteria. And sometimes Rodgers wins, sometimes Brady wins. But again, it, it's it's kind of a stupid argument because look, Brady's Brady's awesome. Right, I hate to say it, but he is. It, this can't just be chalked up to, well, his defenses are so good. Lots of great defenses are out there. The Rams had great defenses. The Buff, Buffalo Bills had great defenses. The Packers down the stretch had great defense. All these teams have had great defenses. The Jaguars in 2017, the Bears in 2018, they all had unbelievably great defenses. Couldn't do it. Why? Because the quarterback wasn't good enough. But the guys that are kind of competing on the same level are is Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes is sort of what Aaron Rodgers was, this unbelievable freak that could do anything, right? He could be laying on the ground and make some unbelievable throws. And I feel like it's the Chiefs that are kind of, they're the ones that we're going to have to worry about down the, down the line, the next 20 years of the Kansas City Chiefs. But I've been, there's been a lot of questions lately. And we already saw how what happened with Baltimore. They had one year of dominance, one year where Lamar was like the greatest quarterback in football. And the next year, it's like, eh, he's not that good. He wasn't. He wasn't that good. 
He's good at running, very mediocre as a thrower. The team in general was good at running, could not throw. I mean, maybe if you get the guy some wide receivers, that changes everything. But it just, it, it very quickly, everybody just forgot. And that w- that's what can happen to the Chiefs here. There's a whole lot of things that have never happened that just happened. The first thing that, that comes to mind, and I've been saying this for a while, I've been talking up John Dorsey and how great he's been and all that stuff. Since he left, as I've said a thousand times, they have not been drafting very well at all. At all. So this is a team that I believe, unless they can either get a new GM or just hit on a big draft or whatever, which can happen, but this is not a team that I have a lot of faith is going to start drafting well, and and when that happens, you start to erode. Everybody on this team that you think of as being a dominant elite player was brought in by John Dorsey, every single one. I'm sorry to tell you, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is not an elite football player. I just did a top five running back video on YouTube. I put him at number four just on rookies, the fourth best rookie. And I'm, I'm, I'm surprised there was so little backlash. There were a few people saying, oh, this is a joke. You're a homer because you're a Packer fan and all that stuff. Listen, I'm not a homer. I just literally ripped off PFF. <laughs> That's all I did because I, I didn't watch these guys. But, but PFF's looking at him and saying he's the fourth best running back. He was the first one off the board. He's on the best offense in football, and he was the fourth best producer. And again, people don't know that because the season started. He just tore it up in like the first game and everyone's like, oh, because, you know, the announcers and everything are just obsessed with the Chiefs. So anything that happens, it was the greatest draft pick of all time. He's the greatest running back of all time. Look at him run through a wide open hole for 15 yards. Oh, my goodness. He's the greatest chief of, you know, this is going to be just stupid stuff. And again, as I said, when things don't go well down the season, they just don't talk about it. So what's fresh in your mind is, dude, this guy's such a great weapon for the Chiefs because we haven't heard the part about, oh, no, he hasn't actually done anything in a while. So, yeah, if you take a first-round running back, obviously he has a lot of talent. You put him on a team like the Chiefs, obviously he's going to produce. That doesn't make it a great pick. There were other running backs that did better on much lesser teams. Jonathan Taylor, I mean, it, it was it, one of the cool things is I did a – it's basically a highlight. I, I, I'm – I'm kind of upset that the videos aren't doing better because they're they're really fun to make and they're really kind of cool. But I think, you know, YouTube is set up in such a way that it's, I mean, it's kind of easy to manipulate their SEO, I guess you'll call it, the search engines or whatever. You just find things that are going to be searched for a lot and you can get a ton of views. There's no way to really set this up so that people are just searching for it. Nobody's searching for best rookie running backs of the season. So, you know, the people that find it really like it, but nobody finds it. But I'm just, I'll probably keep making them because I like making them and they're great videos. But you get to watch highlights. Jonathan Taylor is a highlight machine. I'm stunned. That guy has so many unbelievable highlights. It's stupid. A.J. Dillon was number two. The guy in Washington who I, I've been, like, mocking running backs to Washington, not realize like, ah, they got this undrafted guy, he's graded out pretty well, but, uh. No, he's really good. I think he was number three. I don't even remember his name. You got the undrafted free agent out of uh, Jacksonville that was almost as good as Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Crazy stuff. So, so, again, that's the starting point. They're not really drafting all that well, and that was supposedly, like, this big punch-you-in-the-mouth kind of thing. This is going to keep us up on top. Eh, Probably could have got a guy of similar talent or similar production in the later rounds and got some bigger needs filled in the first round. This is sort of like a cheap thing. This is, hey, I'm not drafting well. What's a real easy, low-hanging fruit thing that I can't miss on? Just get a running back on an elite offense in the first round. It's sort of a can't-miss thing. Nobody's going to trash you for it. Everybody's going to be excited about it. You know he's going to produce. It's, it's, it's simplistic. Here's the other thing. How many times have I been talking about 
the Chiefs just don't lose big. I had been saying all season long how the Kansas City Chiefs, the the first of all, since um, Pat Mahomes took over, this prior, let's just say prior to this year, the worst loss they had ever had was seven points. That's it. Pat Mahomes had only lost eight games ever in 2018 and 2019. That's pretty good for, for just, you know, two years. Most of those are, you know, well, it's four and four. But again, they don't lose big when they lose. Then they faced the Raiders and they lost by eight. And I said, how unbelievable is it that the only game they lost all year to the Raiders, and this is what I had said, you know, midway through the season. It's obviously not true now. We'll, we'll get there. Just slow down. This is the worst beating. Eight points, 32 to 40, is the worst beating Pat Mahomes has ever taken, ever. That points to the greatness of the Chiefs since Pat Mahomes took over. Here's the thing. And again, I, we've been talking all year about the Chiefs. Something's just a little weird about the Chiefs, man. They're flying way too close to the sun. Their wins are just barely wins. They're barely beating teams. They keep losing real bad. And then Pat Mahomes just kind of really has this resurgence, and the offense has this resurgence, and they come back and just barely squeak out a win. And nobody's really talking about that, but that doesn't seem right. Dominant football teams shouldn't be playing like that. To get beat that badly all the time and have to come back and squeak out a win barely in the end. Well, finally, the final game of the regular season, they played the L.A. Chargers. They lost that game 38-21. to Now listen, I understand there was no Mahomes, so nobody cares. But this is the worst beating the team has ever taken. I don't think that's super insignificant. This is, I mean, listen, when you're a team that has never, ever, ever allowed anything like this to happen. First of all, to just give up 38 points is pretty big. Not that it's never happened. Again, 40 to the Raiders, uh, 38 they gave up to Seattle in 2018, 30, uh, 54 to the Rams in 2018, 43 to New England in uh, 2018. It's not like that's never happened, but it's extremely rare. But on top of that, again, they've, they've only ever lost by about a touchdown. That team, because, yeah, okay, so your quarterback isn't there, and you can make all the excuses you want, but that team was on the field. There were starters on the field. A team that had only lost one game all season, super dominant team, nobody ever beats us. The Chargers came in, and this was at home, in your home stadium, and you lost by 17 points. I'm just saying that might do something to your psyche a little bit. Then we have this Super Bowl. This time, Pat Mahomes did play, played an entire game. And I don't want to hear a single thing about his stupid toe. Well, he had a hurt toe. Shot it. That ain't going to cut it. I'm sorry. This was 31 to 9. So the worst game you had ever under Pat Mahomes happened in your first loss this season when you lost by eight points. So that was the worst beating you've ever had, but it's still like, oh my goodness, that's the worst beating you ever had. And you only lost one game. Then you lose your second game and you lose by 17 points, which is by far the biggest beating. More than double, right? Because double would have been 16. This is 17. More than double the biggest beating you've ever had. It's kind of like, you know you know what this reminds me of? Reminds me of a scene from 300. Let, let, let's, let's just listen in. And I'm going to play way more than we need to. But that's just because 300 is awesome and it's a great movie. And uh, just don't worry about it. Here we go. The idea of kneeling, it's, you see... Slaughtering all those men of yours has uh, left a nasty crack in my leg, so kneeling will be hard for me. 
There will be no glory in your sacrifice. I will erase even the memory of Sparta from the histories. Every piece of Greek parchment shall be burned. Every Greek historian and every scribe shall have their eyes put out and their tongues cut from their mouths. Why, honoring the very name of Sparta or Leonidas will be punishable by death. The world will never know you existed at all. The world will know that free men stood against a tyrant, that few stood against many. And before this battle was over, that even a god king can bleed. So that that this is sort of my thinking. That the general premise here is that you had this King Xerxes, which is a historical figure, and allegedly the guy basically thought he was a god, told people he was a god, and I mean there's nothing you can do, right? Now in the movie later on, he throws his javelin, scrapes him right in the face, and it proves that the guy can bleed. That's the whole point though. Before this is over, even if you win, we're going to prove that you can bleed. It's not a direct parallel because the Chiefs lost the Super Bowl. And even in the uh, Chargers, if we wanted to use that as an analogy, the Chiefs lost that game too. But insofar as proving the Chiefs can bleed, that's what happened in the final stretch when they lost by 17 points to the Chargers and then 22 points in the Super Bowl to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It proved that they're not superhuman. The Chiefs are not this unbeatable, unstoppable force. That even when they lose, it's barely a scrape. They bled out on the field. The offense was helpless. The defense was helpless. They looked like a pathetic team. They were embarrassed on a national stage. The Chiefs have been the best team since Pat Mahomes took over for, I mean, for three years running, 2018, 19, and 20. Whether or not they win a Super Bowl, they've just been this unbelievable, unstoppable force. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers embarrassed them. I don't know what's going to happen next year, but I just have a feeling. I don't think the Chiefs are going to be the most dominant team we've ever seen for the next 20 years. Pat Mahomes is still a good quarterback. There's no question about it. But again, the question is, is this going to be similar to what we've seen with the Patriots, where the team just wins Super Bowls year after year after year after year? Or is this going to be more like the Seattle Seahawks, where you've got a great quarterback and a great defense, but slowly everything around him starts to erode? We saw what happened when he shows up and his offensive line isn't there, goes up against a great defensive line that just assaults him over and over and over. But it wasn't just that, it was the coverage. Even when he escapes the pressure, there's nobody there. He's not a magician. He's a great quarterback. But similar to Aaron Rodgers, what happens when you take away the weapons? What happens when the offensive line isn't there? What happens when there's some pressure? He isn't just going to magically make stuff happen. Everything falls apart, and this is the first time, literally the first time we've seen it, unless you want to consider that, that Chargers game, which nobody else will because, again, Pat Mahomes wasn't there, but I'm, I'm telling you, there's something about the psyche of a team when you lose 17 points and then just, you know, what, two games later, three games later, whatever? And look, they played the Cleveland Browns and won 22-17. to They beat the Buffalo Bills fairly handily. But again, they've just been playing way. I mean, look at this. They got embarrassed by Tampa. They beat the, the Browns 22-17. to They lost to the Chargers 38-21. to They beat the Falcons 17-14. to They beat the Saints 32-29, to barely. They beat Miami 33-27. to That's six points. They beat the Broncos by uh, six points. The Broncos. The last time they played the Bucks, they beat them by three points. They played the Raiders, they beat them by four. They haven't had a win by seven points since 
Let's see, we keep going. Carolina, they won by two. The last time they brutally beat a team was the, the New York Jets, 35-9. Before that, the Broncos, 43-16, right? Buffalo, 26-17. Something after this bye week, or even the Carolina Panthers, 33-31, we're talking November 8th, week 9. They have not had a decisive win since that point. What I'm telling you is there's a very good chance we don't see that dominant Chiefs team again next year. I would be stunned if they only lose two games. Stunned. I mean, I guess it depends who they're going up against, but let's see what they've got here. They've got the Titans. That's going to be tough. Eagles are automatic. Washington probably won't be that tough. Cincinnati won't be that tough. Baltimore. The Raiders again. The Chargers again. Buffalo. Cleveland. Pittsburgh. Raiders again. Chargers again. And again, I keep saying, well, they're not that good. I don't know, man. The Raiders kind of have their number, and if they can get that defense going a little bit, and then the Chargers are, are just one of those teams that their defense always plays people tough. It's kind of a weird thing where they tend to beat really good teams and then lose to everybody else. But on top of that, remember, they have a young ascending quarterback who has an unbelievably horrible offensive line. You build that up, I don't know. Two losses only? I don't know about that, Chief. Not saying they don't go to the Super Bowl. I'm not saying they don't you know, do a very good, good job during the 2021 season. I'm not saying they're not one of the best teams in football. I'm saying we watched them bleed, and that does something to your psyche. When you realize you're human, when you realize that you're not just going to go on forever being unstoppable, it, it reminds me a lot of what I said about the Carolina Panthers. And this was, this was a little bit different because they had obviously been a bad team in the past, so they knew what it was like to not always be great. But in 2015, under Ron Rivera, they were an undefeated team through Week 15. They were 14-0. and Then finally they lost their first game to the Atlanta Falcons 13-20. to so it showed that they can bleed, right? So then they, okay, it's just a little blip. They continue on. Tampa Bay, they beat them 38 to 10, just dominant. Seattle, 31 to 24. Arizona, 49 to 15. This is just an absolute powerhouse. They go up against the Denver Broncos and lose 10 to 24. They didn't just lose, they were embarrassed. Embarrassed. And we saw this team that was flying high, especially, and again, the biggest thing that I said is their quarterback, Cam Newton, very, very emotional guy. And this team is riding super high. And when he's on a super high high and he's feeding that into his team, that team felt untouchable. The very first week they played the Denver Broncos, and I said, this is it. If they can come out and beat the Denver Broncos, they can continue on being a really good team. If they come out and get beat again, they're just going to get, they're, they're going to be terrible. Because it's just, it's, that's just going to click in their psyche. Like, this is just, we just, we suck. And, and Cam's going to be all pouty and it's going to be horrible because this is the team that just embarrassed you. They lost 20-21. to 21. They barely lost. They ended up going 1-5 and five before their bye week. They ended the season 6-10. and 10. Again, I'm not saying that that's going to happen to the Chiefs, but I think it's a similar thing. Not only do the Chiefs lose a little something, but I think everybody else gains something. I think there is a lot of psychology in football. The Chiefs come into a lot of games feeling like they can't lose. And I think a lot of teams come in feeling like they can't win. This is a superhuman thing. I think this does a lot for a lot of people around the league looking at the Chiefs floundering and just looking pathetic. I mean, we, we as fans know how embarrassing it was watching the Packers get beat like that by Tampa. And don't think for one second the players don't feel that way as well. They've been riding high and they got embarrassed. The, the benefit here is the Packers got embarrassed the year before and they came back strong. This is not new for the Packers. If there's one thing about them, it's the resilience to get embarrassed and come back and just dominate. The Chiefs have literally never been embarrassed once. Pat Mahomes has never in his entire career been embarrassed, ever. Ever. He's barely lost. That's embarrassing enough just losing. This guy was embarrassed on the biggest possible stage. Everybody around the world 
watched you get embarrassed. And again, you go into this this offseason with a GM that is not doing a good job building your roster. You're going to continue losing people and not replacing them as quickly as you're losing them. And even if you're not losing them, guys are not going to keep playing at a high level forever. The play starts to taper. As you get older, that's just naturally what happens. And as easy as it is for, for people to analyze, I mean, I just got uh, on Twitter here, um, Dami23 has been uh, messaging me about the game. He said Mahomes was pressured on 49% of dropback. I've never seen numbers like that. I think the right, I mean, it, it may be correct to look at this and say, look it, we're still a dominant team. That was just a freakish performance by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to come back and try to dominate. And I'm just saying, I don't think you're going to see the Chiefs far and away as the best ever. You could use the Packers as an analogy. Unbelievably un, un, unbeatable football team. That uh, 2015 season when they were 6-0 and going up against the uh, 7-0 and Denver Broncos. Right, This unstoppable offense going up against this uh, immovable defense. Packers got embarrassed by only scoring 10 points in that game. They were 6-0. and They ended the season 10-6. and They beat Washington and then just got beat by Arizona in spectacularly awesome, horrible, embarrassing fashion. It does something to your psyche, man. You go into that game thinking you're unstoppable. I mean, it was right after the bye week, which, you know, again, just a classic Packers move. 6-0 and going into your bye week, you come out, get embarrassed, and go 4-6 and the rest of the season. And as we've said forever, it just kind of laid out the framework of how to beat the Packers. That's when everybody stopped playing scared because it's not just about you realizing you're human. It's about everybody else realizing you're human. The main narrative about that whole moment right there, which was a pivotal moment, I think is when it killed Mike McCarthy's entire scheme and his entire offense. Everybody played scared of the Packers. Nobody wanted to go press man. Nobody, everybody thought these, these guys are going to kill us if we try to man-to-man these guys. The Broncos said, we're not going to play scared. We're going to punch them right in the mouth. And everybody started doing that after that. Everybody started just getting real tough and, and, and not playing scared. They started pushing the receivers around, breaking off their routes and everything else. And, and Rodgers, the timing and everything just got disrupted, and Rodgers couldn't do anything anymore. Scored 29 points against Carolina, but 16 against Detroit, 13 against the Bears, only got 8 against Arizona, 13 against Minnesota. They had a bunch of games where they just couldn't score points at all. And again, when they lost to Arizona in the divisional round, they only scored 20 points in that game. We talk about how, well, you know, Aaron Rodgers didn't get a chance or whatever. It was the defense that lost it. Dude, 20 points? It went into overtime because he only scored 20. I mean, that's a little bit on the offense. I agree that the defense blew it, clearly. But the only reason that went into overtime is because they only got 20 points. That kind of sucks a little bit. Like, if you got to, to 21 or 22 or 23, it doesn't go into overtime. There was one more field goal in there. It doesn't even go to overtime. You just win and you move on. But we got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who are clearly about to fall apart. That defensive line is falling apart. Everybody, if you do a mock draft for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Buccaneers fans always draft defensive line, which seems counterintuitive. Why? That's the best part of your entire team because everybody's going bye-bye. I don't know what the plan is for Tom Brady. I'm sure he'll be back next year. Beyond that, I don't know. But the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, long-term, I don't see them as long-term dominant. I'm sure they'll be great next year. I, fine. And if they win another Super Bowl, I'm going to lose my mind, and they might. But they're not a long-term thing. The Chiefs are. The Bills are. The Packers only can be if we assume that Aaron Rodgers pulls a Tom Brady and plays until he's 45, in which case we got a lot of, lot of game left. So that makes me happy because I, I, I've felt for a while that the Chiefs are just this team that, you know, it's going to be the next Patriots, and we're going to have to suffer through being the second-place team to another team that's just this dominant Goliath that just can't be stopped. Now, there's always going to be dominant teams. If we're just waiting for for 
for every year there, you know, that one year for there to be no super dominant team. That's not going to happen. It might be one team in a blip, like the Ravens. They go one dominant year and then they disappear. There's always going to be somebody riding high, and you're going to have to man up and beat them if you ever want to win a Super Bowl. And I'm fine with that. I just don't. I don't. I. I, I don't buy this thing that dynasties are good for football. I, I shouldn't say that. I do buy it. We'll, we'll get to that, I guess. I'll save that for after the break, I suppose. But people that like football don't like that. Nobody likes the same team winning over and over and over again. We like parity. Everybody wants their team to get a turn. And I know that's not how football works. And it's not about turns. It's about actually being good. And if you stink, you stink. That's fine. It's just it's just not entertaining. Nobody wants to invest an entire year of excitement just to realize, you know what? This team is going to win again anyway, so what's the point? The Chiefs are supposed to be that team, and they lost. It's not. It's. I, I understand Tom Brady's there, and that's annoying because it's always Tom Brady. The Patriots were that team. They're done. They're cooked. And I don't know if they get better before Bill Belichick hangs up his his gloves. And once he does that, and somebody else has to rebuild this team, who's? I mean, why would anybody believe that that team's going to be anything? The Chiefs are the next great team, and they just lost. They've won one Super Bowl. The next time they tried to repeat, they got embarrassed. They're not building properly. They don't have a good enough GM. That This is not Bill Belichick. And again, as I've been saying, this this is feeling more like the Seattle Seahawks than it is the New England Patriots, a team that had one or a handful of really good years with a GM. But granted, with with the Seattle, it was the same GM who was really good and then really bad. In, in the Chiefs' case, it was a GM that was really good and then got fired for some stupid reason. But it's the same result. Three really good years of drafting and free agent acquisitions to build this Goliath of a team that can't be stopped. They only squeeze one Super Bowl out of it as the team slowly erodes and erodes and erodes and erodes and erodes. Granted, they were dominant through a lot of those Super Bowl losses, but still just couldn't quite pull it out. And then they slowly watch this thing slip away and watch a quarterback scramble and run for his life and make unbelievable throws and comeback wins and games that they win that they just shouldn't and get into playoffs when they shouldn't because their team is not great and it's just a coach and a quarterback just getting it done as best as they can, but it's not good enough. Because at the end of the day, the NFL football is a team sport, and if you don't have a good team, having one good player, even though that's the most important player and you can win a lot of games with an elite quarterback, it's not going to be good enough. And that, to me, is exciting. Because as I look into 2021, I don't feel as though the Packers are just this afterthought. Obviously, the Chiefs are going to be better. Obviously, Tampa's going to be better. Obviously, the Patriots. Obviously, the Bills. Whoever. No. Patriots are done. That dynasty is dead. The Bills, we'll see. Who knows? They haven't done anything to establish themselves as, you know, this dominant force like a lot of other teams like the Chiefs have. There's nothing that says they can't come back and come out flat next year. Remember, two years ago, they were good because of their really, really good defense, and then suddenly that just disappeared. Where did it go? How did it just disappear? I don't know. Came back toward the end of the season, but, you know, still. But the offense was bad two years ago, but then then it was dominant. What's going to happen this year? Are they going to have a good or a bad offense? I don't know. Good or bad defense? I don't know. As I've been saying, the Packers are not the only team that have a lot of tough decisions to make. A lot of guys that are leaving, whether you have a, a, a good or bad cap, that doesn't change the fact that a lot of teams are going to be having some problems. Let's start with the Kansas City Chiefs. Let's start with the fact that look how bad they were without an offensive line. You don't want to know how many free agents they have right now. Guys that, unless they sign them, are not coming back. Left guard Andrew Wiley, center Austin Reeder, right guard Mike Remmers are all free agents right this second. Backup center Daniel Kilgore, backup guards uh, Osemele and Wisniewski, all free agents. The only guys that are signed beyond 2021 is Nick Allegretti, Lucas Nyang, and Yasir Durant. One backup guard, two backup tackles. Eric Fisher, who is 30 years old, is going to be a free agent after this year. 
Mitchell Schwartz, who is 32 years old, is a free agent after this year. They don't have any tackles beyond 2021. That's not to say they won't re-sign them, but, but they need to draft two new tackles. They need to draft two new guards and a new center. And again, they might just, well, they're obviously going to re-sign these guys. There's only so much money. What about the fact that you're losing all your wide receivers? The, the, the Chiefs fans don't like when I draft offensive line because, oh, that's fine. We, we, we're gonna, we got the tackles. We got some backup guards. We're going to reset. It's fine. What we need is wide receiver. Why do they say that? Sammy Watkins, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, all free agents. Le'Veon Bell, whatever he brought, he's a free agent. He's gone. Daryl Williams, another backup running back, gone. Tano Passanio, he made some plays in this uh, game. They're going to resign him. He's a young guy. He's, he's made some plays. He's only 27. They're going to resign him. Because, again, you can't re-sign all these guys. Mike Pinnell, guy's gonna been a good football player. I missed him. I didn't want to get rid of him. I wanted us to get him. He's made some plays for the Chiefs. He's gone. Alex Okafor, Taco Charlton, gone. Two edge rushers. Linebacker Damian Wilson and Ben Neiman, gone. Safety Daniel Sorison, gone. Cornerbacks Brashad Breeland, Charvarius Warden, Antonio Hamilton, gone. Again, a lot of these guys are getting re-signed, but you can't re-sign all of them. And if, and if anybody's leaving, it's going to be these offensive linemen. Right guard Mike Remmers is 32 years old. Center Austin Reeder is 30 years old. Again, they have to replace these guys. They have to replace the wide receivers and find new ones. They have to replace the offensive line and find new ones. I hate to tell you, but if you don't find replacements, you're done. Now, I know the core pieces are getting locked up. Travis Kelsey's locked up. Pat Mahomes is locked up. Tyreek Hill's locked up. Chris Jones is locked up. It's about it, though. And that costs a lot of money. Frank Clark is locked up for a while through 2024. So you still got your core. But all these other guys that do contribute, the Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson, the off- the unheralded offensive line that keeps your quarterback safe, that we saw what happens when they're not playing. They're all extremely old. They're all just about done. Again, I'm looking at 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 offensive linemen, three of them, have contracts that go beyond 2021. Three of 14. Tampa Bay is worse. Tampa Bay is a lot worse. That dominant defensive line. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven players. Four of eleven are signed long term. But here's the thing: they're all way bottom of the. Here, let me let me tell you what their names are. Anthony Nelson, Khalil Davis, Jeremiah Ledbetter, and Pat O'Connor are the only ones signed beyond 2021. And Dominican Sue, Rakeem Nunez Rochez, Steve McClendon, and Shaquille Barrett are all free agents today. I know that's not exactly how that works, but but as of right now, if you don't re-sign them, they're going bye-bye. The, the Buccaneers have to make a decision. I'm guessing they're going to re-sign Shaquille Barrett, who's 29 years old, because he's a pretty pivotal piece. But that ain't going to come cheap. And they got some cap space. They got $29 million, so they can do some stuff. But there's a lot of guys leaving. We just talked about one guy. What about Ndamukong Sue? He's 34 years old. Do you think he's going to stick around? Then you got Jer- Jason Pierre-Paul is in the final year of his contract, 32 years old. Vita Vea is in the final year of his contract. William Golston is in the final year of his contract. That's just your defensive line. Levante David is a free agent right now, 31 years old. Are you going to pay him? You probably should because Devin White is massively overrated. Levante David is the star of this defense, but he's 31. That's not all. Of these six offensive linemen, four of them are free agents right now. The only two that are not are Devin White and Cam Gill. Levante David, Dion Buchanan, Kevin Minter, and Jack Sitchi, all free agents. This is a situation where you got to spend money to keep guys that aren't very good just from a depth standpoint. Then you look at the DBs. 
Ross Cockrell, Andrew Adams, Ryan Smith, all free agents right now. Jordan Whitehead, safety, is only signed through 2021. Carlton Davis only signed through 2021. You're probably going to want to give some of these guys like Carlton Davis contracts today. Only 25 years old. He's young. Let's give him that extension. Go ahead. Go for it. Offensively, center Ryan Jensen, 30 years old. He's in the last year of his contract. A.Q. Shipley, who's his backup, is a free agent. Alex Kappa's in the final year of his uh, contract. His the, the backup guards, Aaron Stinney and Joe Haig, are both free agents. Donovan Smith is in the final year of his contract. You're going to give him a contract? His backup, Josh Wells, is a free agent. Rob Gronkowski is a free agent. Chris Godwin is a free agent. Antonio Brown is a free agent. Your two other quarterbacks behind Tom Brady are both free agents. Running backs, Leonard Fournette, LaShawn McCoy, Kenyon Barner, and TJ Logan are all free agents. The only guy signed beyond 2021 is Keyshawn Vaughn. Ronald Jones is in the final year of his contract. Who's staying? Who's going? The general consensus is this defensive line especially is going bye-bye. Then we come over to Green Bay, and what's the concern? Well, the defensive line. Well, let's see. We got, uh, including Edge and everybody else, we got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. There's a billion guys here. Edge and Interior. The only free agents we have, Lancaster, Wynn, Adams, and Damon Harrison. Who cares? Zadarius, Rashawn, Garvin, Clark, Lowry, Kiki, Smith, and Ramsey all sign. Smith might be leaving, but, I mean, that's that's a lot of people. The entire offensive line, the only three three free agents out of 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 guys, Jared Valdir, Corey Lindsley, and Lane Taylor. Corey Lindsley sucks a little bit if we don't re-sign him, but that's, that's you know, we're, we're pretty good there. The only wide receiver that is a free agent is Tavon Austin. A lot of guys in the final year of their contract, MVS, Adams, EQ, Funches, but Adams is going to get an extension. Everybody else, who cares? right? Quarterback's good. Tight end, uh, you got Tunyon, who is a uh, free agent, but pretty unlikely he leaves. We'll see how it goes. Mercedes Lewis, I mean, okay. Linebackers, the only free agent is James Burgess. We're purging guys just because we just don't want them here anymore. Some of these guys are like, oh, we're, we're good, right? I got a contract. Like, oh yeah, we're going to cancel that. Sorry, Christian. Corners, we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Chandon and Kevin King are, uh, and, and Perry Nickerson are the only free agents. Uh, Chandon and Nickerson are restricted free agents. We'll see what happens with King. Interesting thing about the whole Kevin King situation, and really a lot of these guys, is that now that we have a new defensive coordinator with a new scheme, he's got to look at these guys and decide who he likes and doesn't like. It's entirely possible he looks at Kevin King with his different style of defense and says, nah, I kind of like this guy. It's it's kind of possible. We'll see. I'm thinking it's pretty unlikely, but, yeah, whatever. Safeties. Amos and Savage locked up. Raven Green is a restricted free agent. Will Rudman is an undrafted free agent. There's, I mean, there's almost nobody. I mean, there's, there's the running back position is the only one, and we selected a AJ Dillon in the second round. Again, why are you mad at our GM? <laughs> Everybody's locked up, and the only position that's in trouble, we 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 drafted somebody in the second round to replace these guys. And I don't, some of them might even be staying. I don't know. We'll see. But again, I went through all these different teams. Like, well, we can pay him. Well, we can pay him. We can pay him. We can pay him. No, you can't pay everybody. We don't really have to pay anybody. We could let every single one of these guys walk and still have a football team. Literally every single one. If we didn't sign one free agent, the only thing that's really hurting is corner. Not because Kevin King is that much of a stud, but it's just, you know, it's Jair and eh, I don't know. We got Josh Jackson for one more year. We could try that. Kadar, you know, it's just, it's kind of iffy. We have all our edge rushers, our entire defensive line. We've got our two top safeties. Our entire offensive line, with the exception of Corey Lindsley, who we already have a replace, we could start today without getting a single uh, replacement by just putting Elton Jenkins at center and John Runyon at left guard. 
and we have an offensive line. It's not ideal. We'll probably draft somebody that hopefully can kind of step in and fill that void. And we don't even necessarily need to do that. Rick Wagner signed for one more year. He can be right tackle. Billy Turner can be right guard. And then, you know, then you have to choose between Lucas Patrick and John Runyon. So it might even be the same offensive line either way. But again, we, we still have an offensive line. We still have wide receivers. We still have our quarterback. We still have tight ends. Even if we let Lewis and Tunyon go, we got Sternberger, DeGuara, and Daphne. If we let Tim Boyle go, we got Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love. If we let all of our running backs go, we're a little thin, but we got A.J. Dillon and Patrick Taylor and Dexter Williams and Mike Weber, whatever. I promise you there are a lot more dire situations than what the Green Bay Packers are in right now. A lot more dire. We're going to take a break right here. I want to continue on with this and look at some other teams just to give some perspective, but I, I need to take a break at some point. I should have done it a while ago. We're just going to do it now and then just pick up as though there never was a break. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Continuing on now, let's look at the NFC North and then move on to a couple other things. I took the day off today so I can take as much time as I want. The Chicago Bears. First of all, your quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, is a free agent. Kind of similar to us in, let's say, uh, Kevin King, where it's not great that we're losing a quarterback, but it's also not that we necessarily want to keep him, so it's kind of an iffy situation. We definitely need a quarterback, and it sucks we're losing one, but also I don't really want to keep him. Wide receiver, Allen Robinson, DeAndre Carter, Cordero Patterson, Dwayne Harris, all free agents. That leaves you with Anthony Miller, who is in the final year of his contract, Javon Wims, who is in the final year of his contract, and Darnell Mooney is basically the only guy outside of Riley Ridley that signed long-term. Tight end, Jimmy Graham still has one year left on his contract, but he's probably going bye-bye, as is Demetrius Harris, who is, uh, you know, a tight end, leaving you with Cole Komet. Your running back room is fine. It's stacked. Good to go. Offensive line isn't terrible, but it's not great, because again, it's already starting to fall apart. James Daniels, who was somewhat of a stud, is is kind of iffy at this point. He's in the final year of his contract. Charles Leno, who is 30 years old, is in the final year of his contract. And I've already mentioned Bobby Massey, technically signed long-term, but to get you out of a cap mess, getting rid of Bobby Massey and his contract might make sense. He could be a cap casualty. He's 32 years old. On top of that, Jason Spriggs, who is, believe it or not, basically your only backup tackle right now, is a free agent. Jermaine Effetti, your right guard, who isn't super great, but is your right guard, is a free agent. Then you come to the defensive line. Not great, Chief. 
Granted, Robert Quinn, Khalil Mack signed long-term, that's great. Barcavius Mingo is a uh, free agent this year, but the interior defensive line is the serious issue. You've got nine guys. Eddie Goldman is basically the only one outside of uh, LaCale London that is signed long-term. And it's not even long-term, it's LaCale is one more year. Eddie Goldman is the only one. Daniel McCullers, Roy Robertson Harris, John Jenkins, Mario Edwards, Brent Urban, all free agents today. Again, that's not literally true, but I like saying it because it has a little bit more oomph to it, so I'm just going to keep saying it. Just correct it in your brain. Last year of their contracts, you got Akeem Hicks and Bilal Nichols. And again, well, we're going to re-sign Akeem. Are you, though? He's 32 years old. And next year, we're, so you're going to sign him starting in 33. I think this is his last year, boss. I think he's done. I think he's done after this year. And Bilal Nichols is uh, 25, so you can re-sign him, but yeah. And again, this is why I've been saying about the Bears, just tear it down, man. You got to tear it down. Getting to the DBs, the, the cornerback group isn't the worst in terms of guys that are signed long-term, but the only guy that you really like as a corner is Kyle Fuller, who I've been saying is pretty overrated. He's in the final year of his contract. You're going to have to sign him next year if you choose to do so at age 30. I don't know if he gets re-signed. If he does, it's not because he's elite. It's because we got to keep somebody, and he's not bad. Buster Screen is also in the final year of his contract, and that's probably even uh, worse situation because he's 32. He'll be 33 next year when he's a free agent, and he's not good at football. So going into 2022, you've got Jalen Johnson, Duke Shelley, and Michael Joseph and Kendall Vildor, who has just got the greatest Viking name in the world. But it gets worse because we haven't talked about the safeties yet. Deion Bush, DeAndre Houston, Karsten, Tashawn Gibson, Sherrick McManus, free agents today. Eddie Jackson, overrated, the only guy locked up long-term. You've got no wide receivers. Your defensive line is about to go bye-bye. Your safeties are all going bye-bye. By the way, Roquan is in the final year of his contract. No question they're going to re-sign him. But Danny Trevathan today is 31 years old. Now, he's signed through 2023, but we'll see how that goes as he continues to get older, as the contracts get to be more of a big question mark, as less and less of his contract becomes guaranteed. You know, it's it's kind of getting iffy. That also doesn't uh, include the fact that Cairo Santos, Pat O'Donnell, and Patrick Scales, your kicker, punter, and long snapper, are all free agents. Now, if you like Santos, you pay him, but again, it's it all goes to the cap, and we're trying to figure out how to save money. I just went through a couple days ago looking at, you know, we got to cut this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, just to get above the cap, and that'll help us. Okay, but what what are we going to do? So we're going to we're going to sign three defensive linemen. We're going to sign three safeties. We're going to sign our kicker, punter, and long snapper. We're going to sign two of these wide receivers. We're going to re-sign Jermaine Effetti. Okay, well, that just undid everything that we did. <laughs> so we're back to square one. The Lions are at the bottom of a rebuild. So they're already basically tore down. Here's the problem. Kenny Galladay, Danny Amendola, uh, Mohamed Sanu, and Marvin Jones are all free agents. Now, there's zero question in my mind Kenny Galladay is getting a contract, but that ain't going to come cheap, boss. Remember, I said the Lions are in the best possible spot of anybody. Over the cap has them at $7 million of, of space to play with, and Kenny Galladay is about to get a 20-some-odd million dollar per year contract. Even if the hit in year one isn't that bad, that's rough. And you're losing probably Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, and Mohamed Sanu all going bye-bye, meaning Kenny Galladay is going to be very highly priced. Stafford is already gone. You don't have a quarterback. And Quintez Cephas is your number two, possibly Geronimo Allison, who's in the final year of his contract. Adrian Peterson is gone. He was a pretty big contributor. Are you going to pay him? Adrian Peterson, who's 36 years old, are you going to pay him into year 37? Carryon Johnson's in the final year of his contract. 
Tyrell Crosby, Frank Ragnow, Russell Bodine, Joe Dahl, all in the final years of their contract. Ode Abushi is, is a free agent. Still got a decent offensive line. I mean, basically everybody's still going to be there, but you got to start looking at it. Defensive line isn't too bad, but the problem is our defensive line is already horrible, and Everson Griffin and Romeo Okwara are uh, free agents. And as I said, Everson Griffin was their best pass rusher. He showed up halfway through the season. This is a rough, rough defensive line. We have to build on it, and we might be losing two pass rushers. At linebacker, our two starters and Jamie Collins and, and Jelani Tavaya are locked up for the foreseeable future, but Jer- Jared Davis, Reggie Ragland, and Jalen Reeves-Mabin are all free agents today. Safety Deron Harbin is a free agent. That is a starter. Tracy Walker, who is the other guy who's actually quite good, is in the final year of his contract, so you got to start looking at paying him. Desmond Trufant, who we went out and got, is in the final year of his contract. Mike Ford, Jamal Agnew, Tony McRae, and Daryl Roberts are all free agents today. You've got Justin Coleman, Jeff Okudi, and Amari Aruarie as your cornerback. So, so you've got guys, but we'll see how it goes. And, and again, Coleman could be a cap casualty. And Matt Prater is a free agent, as well as Don Mulbach, who is your long snapper. I'm assuming you're keeping Matt Prater around, but who knows? He's 37 years old. Maybe they go in a different direction, but again, that's money. And this again, this one isn't too bad, but... We're at the bottom of a rebuild. We don't want to tear down anymore. We're going to have to, though. Wide receiver, which is supposed to be our strength, just became a massive weakness. And then, of course, you got the Minnesota Vikings, which isn't all that terrible, but they're they're kind of they're trying to hang on, and it's getting to be more difficult. Right, the offensive line isn't great. We got to try to hang on to whatever we got. Riley Reef could be going bye bye, depending on how they want to save their cap. If that happens, that's a problem. They do have Ezra Cleveland. But that's going to be a step backwards. Dakota Dozier, their left guard, is a free agent. He is 30 years old, so that's not great. The core of your offense in terms of the weapons are all locked up, assuming we're not getting rid of Kirk Cousins, which I don't think you should, but we'll see what happens. But you got Cousins, you got Thielen, you got Jefferson, you got Cook all locked up long term. But the thing that makes it all go, the real engine behind the thing, is the offensive line, and that's in rough shape. It's already in rough shape, and you might be losing a left tackle and a left guard sooner than later. On top of that, one of the strengths of your defense has been safety. Anthony Harris, who is uh, 29 years old, is in the final year. Or no, he's he's a free agent today. Harrison Smith, who's 32 years old, is in the final year of his contract. Are you you're probably paying Anthony Harris, who took a step back now that you lost your DB coach. George Aloka, by the way, also going to be a free agent today, 31 years old. A lot of uh, Vikings fans in these mocks have been taking safeties because they understand what's coming. It's becoming a need. So again, it's it's not bad from a free agency standpoint, but they're not in a position to be losing guys, especially when the core of your team is, for example, this defensive front, which has Shamar Stephan, Jalen Holmes, and Hercules Mata'afa in the final years of their contract, and Jaleel Johnson is a free agent. That's not great. So again, we got Daniil Hunter and we got Michael Pierce, but it's kind of like who around them is, is going to be doing anything. Everything changes. Everything changes. So again, the Packers are in great shape, and I think a lot of things are going to change up to and including the Chiefs may have, uh, they may, we may be seeing a very different Chiefs team next year. Again, that doesn't mean bad, but maybe four losses, maybe five losses. I don't know. We'll see what they do in the draft and how, how well they can do there, how well some of these draft picks that haven't really panned out, how well, how well they grow in years two, three, four, whatever. But everything does change. A couple other things I wanted to touch on. Uh, I got a question just a few minutes ago from Marcus Norlin from Finland. He had a couple questions. Number one, and it's a great question because I literally have been looking at this exact thing. He says, I talk about Lazard having an elite blocking grade in college. Is there someone in this year's draft with a similar size, skills, and blocking grade? The answer is no. There's not even somebody with a similar blocking grade, period. It's not that hard to see why the Packers really liked him because they're, 
what he's able to do is super rare. Now, here's the thing. And I was thinking about this the other day when I was trying to think how rare he is. He could just as easily be considered a tight end. And if you compare him to tight ends, I'm sure there's a lot of tight ends that have great blocking grades. They chose to make him a wide receiver. He is a little bit light, but in today's football, you know, 6'5", 230 or whatever he is, could probably get away with that. <laughs> but no, I mean, the answer is absolutely not. In fact, I was smart enough to, I think, email myself my... No, maybe I wasn't. Well, I can still look it up. Now, when I say no, what I'm talking about is I'm looking at, you know, the 60-some guys that are on my draft sheet, guys that are expected to be drafted in 2021. That isn't to say in all of college football nobody can block like him. But this guy's an absolute freak. In 2017, 80.8 run blocking grade, 2016, 86.6, and then 2015, 82 overall. He had a 70 basically in 2014, which was a down year for him. Just dominant. Right now, there are 14 guys in 2020 that are an 80 or higher overall run blocking grade. Um, if we look at guys that are their draft year is supposed to be 2021 or 2022, um, I say 2022 because some of these guys are going to declare anyways. We've got 11 guys in college football. I want to see if any of these guys show up on any of these. Let's just use the draft network and see if they even show up. We got Marcel Barbie out of Texas State. He doesn't show up. Antoine Davis, he doesn't show up. So of all 11, only one showed up on, uh, he might even be on my board to be completely honest. But anyways, there is one guy, and I, I, th I think I do remember this. His name is Cornell Powell out of Clemson. So the Draft Network has him at 172nd. Here's what they had to say about him. Buried on the depth chart, Clemson wide receiver Cornell Powell did not catch more than 15 passes in any season from 2016 to 2019, but exploded under the scene in 2020 when he hauled in 53 receptions for 882 yards and seven touchdowns. He truly shined when DJ whatever star, uh, started in place of Trevor Lawrence, and he averaged more than 120 receiving yards per game over the final six games of the season. So he had some great chemistry with this kind of this new guy that showed up. And uh, for your benefit, I did pay for uh, TDN Premium, which I haven't actually used a ton, but um, they have his NFL comp as Jermaine Curse. I was really hoping it would be Alan Lazard, but that didn't happen. So I, I guess we'll say that. If, if there's one guy that's going to be a later round guy that could be an Alan Lazard, keep an eye out for Mr. Uh, Cornell Powell, who sounds like he could be kind of a hidden gem, right? He was buried on the depth chart. Nobody really saw him. He finally got a chance, especially with a new quarterback, because when you got Trevor Lawrence, he's like, I don't really know this guy. I play with him very much. Eh, I'm going to stick with the guys I know. we got some superstars on this team. But you get their backup quarterback to come out, who's obviously been playing a ton with Powell, because they're both, you know, I don't know what they call it in college, but they practice together. So they have chemistry already. So he trusted him. He played with him. It's like, oh, look at this. Something to think about. Second part of his question, how do we find someone to replace Mercedes? Could it be plausible to find a day three athletic but skinny tackle that we could turn into Mercedes 2.0? I mean, that I don't even know how to approach that. Um, tackles with prior receiving ability? I don't know. I, I, I get what you're saying, right? Because it's you, you generally don't have blockers that can block to that level like Mercedes does anymore. I, I would rather just look for a tight end that does what he does and know that the NFL doesn't really care about that. We, Mercedes Lewis talked about how nobody really cares about throwback tight ends anymore, and he was happy to be with the Packers because it's one of the few teams that still gets a lot of benefit out of that. And a lot of Packer fans were worried, like, oh, great. You know, the NFL has moved on from this, and we're playing old school. This is kind of stupid, whatever. Um, but the cool thing is if there's a guy – that plays Mercedes Lewis-style football, which is basically you're just a dominant blocker, but, you know, kind of a mediocre receiver. 
most teams are not even going to consider you. They're not going to draft you. So you're going to fall. You might be the best blocking tight end in football, and you'll fall to the fourth round or, or later. And the Packers will be getting a steal because they need that position. He's the best. It's similar to fullback. The, the best, most elite fullback is, is not going to get drafted before probably the fourth round because nobody cares. So why don't we do this? I'm not going to look for a tackle that can catch. I'm just going to look for a blocking tight end and, and understand that um, if he's not a great receiver, if he's if he's bigger than 250, he's probably going to fall because everybody wants a 240-pound tight end that runs a 4-5 flat with good hands. And here's the other thing. If you're going to block, people care mostly about pass blocking. But how about run blocking? Here's the thing. There's a guy by the name, and I know this guy's, uh, I've heard his name, so he's definitely an option. A guy by the name of Tommy Tremble out of Notre Dame. 74.4 pass blocking grade, 83.7 run blocking grade, highest run blocking tight end in football, according to PFF. Six foot four, 242 pounds. So he is kind of slender, but he still gets the job done. He's only pass blocked 16 times, but didn't allow a single sack hit or hurry. Run blocked 271 times. He's done it a time. He's only played two years. In 2019, he had an 84.8 run blocking grade, 2020, 83.7. The guy is unbelievable. It's actually very similar to Alan Lazard's grades in college. Now, his receiving ability in those two years, 61.0 and 63.7. So he's not the greatest receiver in the world. He had the most amount of yards he's ever gotten in 2020, and it was 218 yards and zero touchdowns. Passer rating was 76.2 when targeted. The biggest game he had... Again, zero touch. A tight end with zero touchdowns. Imagine. And they Notre Dame, they played all year. I mean, there's no week one, but two, three, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, thirteen, fourteen, uh, and then two uh, big games, big bowl games. I mean, that that's a full season. Biggest game he had was against USF. Three targets, three receptions, sixty-one yards. So this guy, pretty unlikely, he goes early. I mean, unless there's somebody out there looking at him saying, "Dude, this guy's six four, two forty two. They just didn't use him properly. We can we can turn him into something." I'm thinking he falls. Draft Network has him at 111th. They put his comp at Ed Dixon. Um, not really sure I understand that comp because Ed Dixon was a terrible blocker, but whatever. So we'll see. I mean, if you look at his his uh, draft breakdown by Kyle Krabs, it's almost the exact opposite of PFF. They said he's not the greatest blocker, but with some training, he'll be a good receiver. Okay. Some other names I'll just throw out quickly. Uh, you got Sean Beyer. There's a lot of other names, but if they're not popping up on uh, the Draft Network's thing, not that that's all comprehensive, but generally speaking, that means they're probably not going to get drafted. But Sean Beyer, I mean, he's he's at about 260, so he's in that undrafted free agent range, but 6'5", 246 out of Iowa, so you got the Iowa connection there, similar school. Again, very good run blocker. You got uh, Luke Farrell. He's 261 on the board. Again, going to go real late, 6'6", 250. It's nice throwing these names out there, too, because when I do the transcriptions, if we draft these guys, I'm going to be able to be like, see, I told you about that guy. So I'm going to list as many names as I can. Actually, that's about it. As far as guys that, and, and listen, there are some guys that, uh, you know, you go back to 2019 that didn't play this year either because of, you know, they uh, opted out for COVID reasons or their school didn't play or whatever that I'm not looking at. And I can't. I just, we'll, we'll just stop it right there. But I would say keep an eye on, uh, so you got Tremble, you got Sean Beyer. Did I mention anybody else or is that it? That might have been it. There's about uh, 10 guys here that have 80 or higher grades that are supposedly um, potentially getting drafted this year. But those are the only two that are on any big boards or whatever. So um, I guess I'll throw out Chris Car- uh, Cameron, Chris Cameron of Army, uh, Logan Carter, Oklahoma State, and John Bates of Boise State, only because they're the three other guys that have good pass blocking and run blocking grades in the 80s. So there's that. But Tommy Tremble, definitely a name that's much more familiar. 
something if you're looking for a good blocker that hasn't really flashed as a receiver. There you go. Final thing I wanted to mention was about the refs. I understand there's a lot of complaining about the refs, and I understand a couple things. I understand the idea of, you know, don't put yourself in that situation and that won't happen, right? It shouldn't come down to to the refs. Here's the thing. I generally don't like that line of thinking. And, and granted, this team, this game was such a blowout, it clearly wouldn't have just come down to the refs. But, but here's what I don't like. When people say stuff like that, it, it annoys me because right should be right, right? Just do your job properly. I'm not going to give you a pass because, well, it shouldn't come down to the refs. Then why do we have refs? It's the same thing with that fumble out of the end zone. That, well, don't reach them. No, how about we just get the rule right? In other words, it's wrong, but so what? Just don't make a mistake, and then who cares? Or the overtime rules. Well, don't let it get to overtime, and then you don't have to worry about the overtime rules. No, let's just do it properly. Let's just do a good job and get the right thing. Again, two things can be true at once. Yes, you know, don't reach because that is currently the rule, but let's also change the rule. Yes, you should win the game so decisively that the refs don't have an impact. Also, the refs shouldn't suck. I don't like that line of thinking. Here's the other thing, though. And I hate when people just complain. I, I talk about all the time. The Lions, all they do is complain about the refs when they play the Packers. Quit whining, and then I whine all year long about the ref. But you got to understand how bad this looks. I mean, the NFL has to realize how bad this looks. I, I, I put on Twitter essentially my feelings on this. I, I think the general conspiracy theory is a little silly. However, they really, really are not doing themselves any favors if they're trying to convince us there isn't some kind of a conspiracy. Because I'm sitting here every week looking at this going, you've got to be kidding me. Every single time you watch a game that has Tom Brady, the refs, I swear. I mean, you go back and watch the refs fist bumping Mike Evans and it's like, are you serious? And that was the ref that initiated it. Are you trying to get us to believe that you're you're paid off? The fact that two weeks ago, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers played unbelievably physical. They're, they're grabbing and pulling and twisting and turning. And the refs in that game decided, you know what? We're not going to call all that much. We're going to let them play physical. In a week in which they decided they're going to play physical, except at the end when the Packers started getting physical, then we're going to start throwing flags and literally hand them the win based on a penalty. That's a little messed up. But then this week, and the interesting thing is the announcers said the Chiefs like to play physical. They're pretty grabby. Interesting that they decided that this week we're going to be really, uh, really ticky-tack. Not even looking at the fact that the calls that they threw, like the interception that got overturned, that absolutely shouldn't have, it was more of a push-off than it was a hole. That was the most pathetic call I've ever seen in my life, and I don't know how you throw a flag on that. Forgetting the specific calls, just the general reality that in a week in which Tampa Bay decided to play physical, the refs keep the flags in their pocket, a week in which the Chiefs decide they're going to play physical, we're going to throw all kinds of flags, and they only tend to go one direction. We're not going to call anything on Tampa. We're going to call all the penalties on Kansas City, even when it's nonsense, especially at critical moment. You had an interception get overturned because of a bad call. I believe it was the same drive that a field goal got turned into a first down, which got turned into a touchdown because of the refs. An interception got turned into three points, which got which got upgraded to seven points because of the refs. Who wants to watch a football game like that? Nobody wants to, at least with the Packer game, if you're going to keep it in your pocket, keep it in your pocket, fine. I mean, some of that was unbelievably blatant and probably should have been called, but again, you weren't you weren't even consistent. Not only did you just abdicate your duties and just decide we're not going to do our job today. Again, coincidentally, the day that the 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 Buccaneers game plan seemed to be let's just hold all day long. Quite a coincidence. But again, you weren't even consistent because at the end, as the Packers started mounting a comeback and were right at the door, 
you decide we're going to start throwing flags on everything, except the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Again, that very blatant hold by Kevin King, which was a blatant hold, there was a blatant hold right in front of a referee against Rashawn Gary as an offensive lineman hooked him right around the neck, and there's a referee standing right there and didn't throw a flag. Interesting. So, yeah, I do think people whine about the refs too much. I think this needs to be figured out because I think this looks real bad, and I think it's completely ruining the product. Nobody wants to see the refs pushing geriatric Brady down the field anymore. There has to be some level of consistency here. There should be consistency among among the, the, the squads. Not like, well, this group is super strict and this group isn't. BS. One set of rules. Because, again, I'm still on the, on the, of the opinion that we can have computers do this job better for us. Now, I don't like the idea that, I mean, because, I mean, there's penalties on every play. I mean, if we just let the computers call it, there's going to be penalties every play, and that that's the one drawback. But I'm okay with it. Why don't we put a sensor in the ball so that they're not spotting it anymore? They, the, the ball can, we, we know based on a computer where the ball should go. I mean, we, we have replay review. I mean, that, that interception on Lazard should have been overturned, where he's grabbing his jersey, use that to slingshot himself and pull himself up. Be, oh, well, that's not reviewable. Well, that, that's stupid. Everybody in, in the world is watching. There's, there's a commercial break. Why can't you have some people in New York going, yeah, that was a penalty. You're not keeping the ball. And then we come back from commercial break, and there's the Packers lined up over the ball, and the announcers say, yep, that was overturned because it was BS and they cheated. I just, I, I don't like this general inconsistency where we have to just accept that the refs kind of suck, and sometimes they suck in, in certain ways, and sometimes you can overturn sometimes when they make a mistake, but other times when they make a mistake, you can't overturn it. None of this makes any sense. It's just a, a, a disaster. And I think officiating has become a serious problem. They over-officiate certain things. You can't touch anybody. You can't tackle anybody. You can't hit anybody, which is stupid. But then blatant holds and everything else, just they, they just don't throw flags. It's like their only job out there is when somebody tackles too hard to throw a flag and eject the guy. Are they referees or preschool teachers? Well, your, your head drifted low when you made a tackle. Well, no kidding, stupid. How in the world am I supposed to keep my head six feet above the ground and also tackle him at the waist? Well, you want to keep your face angled upward so that as your face impacts their body, you snap your neck. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. This whole thing is stupid. It's an embarrassment. So, yeah, the Chiefs can't complain about the refs entirely. But here's the thing. You can't complain about the refs insofar as the refs are the reason they won, but you can still complain about everything else. Again, I'm, I'm not in full-scale conspiracy mode, but we're getting to the point now where it makes more sense to believe that the NFL is rigged than, than to believe it's not. It's more of a conspiracy to believe that there's no... That, that everything is just a coincidence. Because this is insane. I mean, at the very least, they're, you know, maybe Brady's just bringing them out, whining them and dining them, and they're all friends, and, and the refs are just a little a little biased. Because you can see, I mean, look look at how fans are when they're biased. If it's kind of close, usually you're going to go in the, in the direction of your team. Very rarely are you mad at the refs in, in the direction against your team. You might look at it and acknowledge, yeah, that was probably a bad call, but whatever. We'll just, we'll, we'll, you know, I mean, hey, we got bad calls in our foot, so we'll let that slide. If the refs are just a little bit biased, maybe they see a little bit of a hold and they go, eh, it wasn't that bad. And maybe they didn't really see a hold, but, you know, we saw that Chief's arm go around his waist, so that, that's probably a hold. I'm throwing the flag. We're going to erase that interception. I mean, think about it. If you were a ref for a Packer game, you would be biased, even if you thought you weren't being biased. Because if you saw something, if you saw an arm around a, a Green Bay Packer, you throw that flag. If you saw a tug on a jersey that was a Packer doing it, you might look at it and go, eh, I think that's a let him play situation. Is it possible, if, if it's not just a grand-scale conspiracy, is it at least a, a possibility that they're slightly biased in favor of Tom Brady? Maybe they like Tom Brady a lot because he's a nice guy and he treats them well and they know each other and he knows their families and been around the league a while. And we've heard that all the time about, especially veteran quarterbacks, even Aaron Rodgers. 
how calls tend to go his way. You know, if he gets hit, he looks at a, gives a ref a look like, are you kidding me? And they're like, oh, yeah, 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 for sure, throw the flag. Whereas if you're some big-mouth cornerback that gets in the ref's face every second saying, you know, I, all kinds of nasty stuff, maybe I don't really care about you so much. Oh, you thought that was a hold? That's interesting. I didn't really notice. Sorry about that, bud. I don't think it's a coincidence that you see these quarterbacks go up to the refs and, and, and you know, juice them up a little bit. What's up, man? How you been? I missed you, bud. How you doing? How's the kids, man? How old is your daughter now? Wow, that's amazing. They grow up fast, don't they? Well, let's let's have a great game. They don't care about the stupid refs. They want calls to go their direction. Now, look, the point isn't to, to draw up this conspiracy. I'm, I'm just saying it, it, it doesn't make sense anymore. The idea that this is just a coincidence does not make sense anymore. The unbelievable bias against the Packers in that game was ridiculous. The same bias with a different squad against a different team, but the only common denominator here is that the Buccaneers have things going in their favor. Mr. Fistbump Mike Evans. They go blind when penalties happen against the Packers, but suddenly can see everything the Chiefs are doing in, in you know, in 4K. Suddenly they got 20-20 vision. They can see everything. Seems a little odd to me, and it's a little bit annoying, and I, I think the Packers need to genuinely make a concerted effort to take that out of the game. Whether that's more oversight or whatever the case may be, I'm fine with it. We cannot allow this kind of stuff to happen. There needs to be the ability to take that back to have some oversight. Whether it's conspiracy or just human error, it needs to be fixed. And I understand you can go too far in the other direction and that ruins it even worse where everything, you know, penalties get overturned and all this nonsense. But some of these are so ridiculous. I mean, come on. The Chiefs should have been allowed to keep the ball. Somebody up above should have looked at that and said, no, you're an idiot. Stop making stupid calls. If you don't actually see a penalty, don't assume penalty. That was not worthy of overturning a massive play in the Super Bowl, the most important game of the entire year. And you took away a uh, pivotal interception. And then there was lined up in the neutral zone, which maybe they were. And and the other thing that really annoys me is announcers that refuse to acknowledge bad calls. That will just absolutely drive me insane. I mean, there there are times when it you know I I I guess I just don't like bad opinions because sometimes there there'll be good calls and the announcers be like, I don't know about that. Like, shut up. But I've been saying for a while, Romo is he's lost his allure for me. I'm not a fan of Romo anymore. He's not predicting play calls that are coming up, which was his only real claim to fame. Now he's just a really bad, bumbling announcer that does not understand rhythm and flow and when to talk and when to not talk. And now he's just coming out whenever there's a penalty and going, yeah, there it is. Uh, you can see it a little bit right there. It's uh, definitely a penalty. He just supports the refs no matter what. And it's like, dude, you stupid idiot. That's clearly not a penalty. If you don't want to go against the refs, that's fine, but don't say it's a penalty when it's not. You can just abdicate your responsibilities and go, yep, that's uh, that must be what they were talking about, that little pull there, and just leave it alone. You don't have to support it. Yeah, it's definitely a penalty. No, it's definitely not, stupid. And again, that, that lined up in the neutral zone. I, I just I would have liked to have gone back and look at that. I mean, the very next play, you, you, you see the overhead view and the blue line and all that stuff. Why don't we pull that up real quick? I just want to take a gander real quick. But again, you got Romo. Yeah, they really rounded out that uh, that line there, so that's why they were over. Were they though? Do do you know that they were? Was it way over? Or a little over? I'm just curious. I'm just curious at this point. I'm just curious how ticky tack we're gonna get with it. I'm sure he was over a little bit. Yeah, was, was it his fingernail? Was it his whole arm? His half his body? What? Because I couldn't see it from the angle you showed us, and you didn't really feel the need. The production crew didn't really feel the need on a critical play. Again, this is massive. They just kicked a field goal, which they shouldn't even have had the ball, but they kicked a field goal for three points. This gets overturned and turns into a touchdown. You don't even want to show us what the penalty was? That's interesting to me. Is it possibly that the refs suck so bad you don't even want to show us replays because it's a it's completely tarnishing the product? And when do we start firing refs? I know they have a tough job. I get that. 
But at some point, you're doing such a bad job, I think it's time to move on. We need to have a referee scorecard. I want to know who's throwing penalties and which one. Somebody needs to do that. You need to start a website where you can show every single referee when they throw the flag, you put up the video, and you let people vote, for, for example. And then we just look at that, like a little scorecard. And you can see where the good and bad refs are. And I'm not saying that the NFL has to be has to take action based on what fans' reactions are, because obviously they're going to hate every ref that plays, you know, or, or works a, uh, a Bucks game. But just for my own sake, I want to know which ones are really terrible. Because I'm sure there's some correlations in there of, of people throwing flags that are just ridiculous. You might even be able to throw in some, some questionable things that didn't get called and just kind of see what was the crew, who was the person in that area that didn't throw a flag. I'm just curious. At least we can look at it and say, hey, look, they didn't throw flags. We see all year that they don't really throw flags. It's just kind of a thing. Maybe it'll actually help. It's kind of like the police, uh, the body cam. The, the in- original intention was to catch cops doing bad stuff. The end result is that it actually got cops off a lot of stuff because you could see how crazy the people were acting. So when you actually watch the body cam footage, it's like, eh, all right, never mind. Maybe it'll be good for the refs. Put them under a little scrutiny. You look at it and go, yeah, I guess they usually do a good job. This was just kind of one of those things. I don't know. Maybe it'll help. Let's just do it. At the very least, the NFL needs to be doing it behind the scenes and keeping track of it. And if people are just consistently garbage, fire them. Anyways, I don't know. I think this podcast has gone on long enough. Again, it's a great day. And 2021 is not 2020. And we get to move on and uh, get excited about another dominant Green Bay Packers performance in 2021. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.